The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with gearing up for the final trading day of the month with tech in control and trading at its highest level in more than a year. Your Wednesday morning setup, that's coming up. Then in Washington, the House gets set to take up the bipartisan debt ceiling deal after it cleared a key vote late yesterday. But... Headwinds within the Republican Party, they still remain. And a cautious view. Jamie Dimon talks all things China as J.P. Morgan looks to boost its footprint in the world's second largest economy. We have his comments ahead. Plus, knocking on the door of the one trillion club. Keeping track of NVIDIA as it looks to become just the seventh U.S. stock to, to, to join that exclusive market cap club, as I mentioned. And then later, the case for higher rates. The latest Fed head making the case for hikes, not pauses, at next month's policy meeting. It is Wednesday, May the 31st, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thanks for starting your morning with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures on this final trading day in May. Right now, we're seeing futures down across the board. The S&P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq both down about a third of a percent, but it is early. However, it's been quite the month for the Nasdaq. It's trading at its highest level since mid-August and up more than 6.4% this month alone. Right here, you're seeing that little upside swing for NVIDIA taking the market, or at least with the tech part of the market, even higher this month. And now the Nasdaq's on pace for its third straight winning month in the row. The index now just 1% away from a fresh all-time high. We're also looking at the bond market. There we are seeing some declines. we we'll start off with the benchmark 10-year at 3.66. Now, remember, just yesterday, it opened up at about 3.80, so down about almost 15 basis points. We're still seeing the two-year note yield elevated above 4% this morning at 4.44%, something to watch. We're not showing it, but the short end of the curve also elevated as well. In energy, oil coming off a bit of a rough session, getting some mixed messages from the OPEC Plus group about cuts, whether or not they're going to do it. Right now, this morning, we're seeing WTI, the U.S. benchmark, back below 70 bucks a barrel, down a half a percent this morning. Brent crude, the international benchmark, basically at 73 bucks a barrel, down almost a percent. Natural gas down almost a percent as well. We also check in crypto very quickly. As always, we watch crypto. It does trade around the clock. We're seeing Bitcoin still below that 30,000 market, 27,000 and some change this morning, down two and a half percent. Ether back below 2,000. That's a key level for that digital currency, down more than two percent this morning. All right, let's get a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe are Jamana Brissetti. She's standing by in our London newsroom with more on both. Jamana, some disappointing data out of China this morning seems to impact the international markets. 
That's right. Let's get to that data, Frank. Chinese factory activity did slow faster than expected in May, hitting a five-month low of 48.8. The services sector did stay in expansion, but still grew at its slowest pace in four months. And that is having knock-on effects on overnight markets, Asian markets all trading in the red. But if you look back for the month of May, you can see that pretty much all of these indices ended the month in the red as well. We've got the Shanghai Composite down 3.6 percentage points. And this is a fallout, not just from yesterday's data, but over the course of the month as markets started to reassess how impactful that China recovery play is going to be into the second half of the year. Even more pronounced effect for Hang Seng and Hong Kong, that index down 8.3% for the month of May. A little bit of green, though, on the Nikkei, and you can see that that was the major outperformer piercing through 30,000, up 7% for the month. This, as investors got more and more confidence on the prospects of Japanese recovery, that index sitting at a three-decade high. Switching over to European markets, for the month of May, not a pretty picture. You can see one of the biggest underperformers was the FTSE 100 over here in the UK, down 4.5%. This as commodities came under selling pressure. And of course, the FTSE is very much exposed to that. Doesn't have a lot of tech exposure either, which, as you know, has been a big boon for other markets. The DAX in Germany down three-tenths of a percent. Bit of a surprising performance there, given how weak the macro data has been. The CAC 40 in France also down 4%. And this, Frank, is on the back of some of the weakness that we've seen in luxury. You may be asking why. Well, again, it's because of China. The weakness in China is having an impact on some of those key luxury stocks. So the picture for European markets for the month of May, not so pretty. All right. Our Germana Bersetschi live in our London newsroom. Germana, always great to see you. Turning now to Washington, D.C., and that bipartisan deal to raise the U.S. debt ceiling, it cleared a key hurdle last night on its way to a full House vote later today. But headwinds for Speaker McCarthy and Republican uh, Party leadership, they remain. NBC's Bree Jackson, she joins me now from Washington with more. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, the debt ceiling drama continues after narrowly passing the House Rules Committee uh, with a seven to six vote. The measure now heads to the full House. The debt limit fight heads to the House floor for a vote today. Battle lines are already drawn. No Republicans should vote for this bill, and so my focus is trying to persuade my colleagues what's wrong with the bill. I have not decided yet again, waiting for the numbers. Some hardline Republicans argue the measure, which cuts spending, did not go far enough. Progressive Democrats raise concerns about concessions President Biden made. Party leaders are working to secure enough votes to get the bill to the president's desk. But it's important for House Republicans to produce at least 150 votes. This is an agreement that they themselves negotiated, and they should be able to produce the votes necessary. If the plan passes the House, it moves to the Senate, where there's bipartisan praise. House Republicans focused on reaching a bipartisan agreement to put reasonable caps on federal spending. I commend President Biden and his team for producing a sensible compromise under the most difficult of circumstances. Across the country, there's a sense of urgency. We're tired of gridlocks. Uh, we can't default on our debt. That's, you know, would be ugly for this country. So hopefully they'll uh, get together and do the right thing. The federal government has just under a week to lift the debt limit before the June 5th deadline. And if passed, the bipartisan deal, officially known as the Fiscal Responsibility Act, would extend the debt limit for two years. Frank? All right, our Bree Jackson live in D.C. Bree, great to see you as always. 
All right, the pending deal to raise the debt ceiling and avoid a potentially catastrophic default could be a positive for the sentiment and the markets in the near term. But a growing number of analysts believe caps on government spending in that bill will create a new headwind for the U.S. economy. Just adding to the pressure from high interest rates and tight credit conditions, raising the risk of recession. Joining me now is Mark Anderson, co-head of asset allocation at UBS Global Wealth Management. Mark, good morning. It is great to have you here. Thanks for having me. So, Mark, I want to ask you, do you agree that the proposed spending cuts could hurt the U.S. economy? And where do you see that added pain point playing out? When you talk about the Fed, they already have their baseline projection as a recession. And a lot of other economists believe we're on the precipice of one as as we speak right now. I think what's going to happen now is that once we've passed this debt ceiling debate, we're likely to go back to the fundamental, which is one in which the U.S. economy is still growing at a reasonable pace. Some of the now costs are suggesting around 2% in this second quarter of 2023. At the same time, we're having core inflation rates very close to 5%, among other the core PC metric that we got out just a few days ago. So that's kind of putting these Fed cuts off the table, which the market were dreaming about some weeks back. And we even likely to see maybe one more hike before we are, we are done from the Fed. So we do think that that's going to lead to lower than uh, potential growth rates in the second half of the year, very close to zero growth in our view. And that's going to be bad for uh, earnings and also for stock markets that we think are trading relatively expensive at current levels. Okay, hold on a second, Mark. So you're saying that the cuts are just totally off the table. You're in the camp that Fed cuts are off the table. We're looking at the CME Fed tool. It has about a 65 percent chance of a quarter point hike. But you're saying it's just 100 percent. We're going to see a hike. Like, I mean, give us a sense of what you're saying there. I think there's a reasonable chance that they will do another 25 basis points. That could be in June or July. I think one of the main reasons is that we certainly have core inflation at uncomfortably high levels. And the longer we keep inflation rates higher, the more we're likely to see inflation expectations move upwards, as we've seen recently as well. I don't think it's a done deal whether the Fed will actually be hiking. I think there's a reasonable chance we might get a skip, which has been debated as, as well. But a lot of it, it's depending also on the payrolls number we're going to get out. Uh, if we're going to get close to 200,000, the unemployment rate staying at around 3.4%, the average uh, hourly earnings numbers uh, driving upwards at a, at a fast pace continuously, I think that's something that is likely to persuade the Fed to potentially do one more hike before they'll be done. Okay. Yeah, very interesting there. I want to talk to you about one other big thing when it comes to the markets and the economy, AI. Where do you stand on AI? We just kind of touched on earlier in the show the big run-up for the NASDAQ this month fueled largely by AI. Do you believe AI is a bubble or do you think it's still investable and sustainable today? So first of all, we do think it's a significant technology that's going to drive markets over the next couple of decades. So without a doubt, an exciting technology. With that being said, if we're trading at current PE levels, which for the broader tech sector in the U.S. is now above 25 times, and particularly AI-linked stocks have certainly rallied quite significantly over the last uh, couple of, of weeks, we do think that this is starting to get a bit extended. So we're actually recommending our clients to shift the focus away from the technology sector, in particular in the U.S., uh, where we do think that things have gone a little bit too far and focus maybe a bit more on the defensive sectors, such as uh, sort of consumer stables, utilities, value-oriented place. So that's where we'd be going from a sector perspective. Uh, and we'd also like something like emerging markets. I, I know that Chinese numbers have come in a little bit below expectations, yes. but given very attractive valuations, still decent growth prospects for the for the full year. Okay. We do think there's opportunities. Mark Anderson, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you very much for being here. We appreciate the insight. All right. Time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Silvana. 
Good Wednesday morning to you, Frank. Well, ahead of next month's Fed meeting and still a mixed outlook on a possible rate hike, Cleveland Fed Chair Loretta Mester is making her view clear. In an interview with the Financial Times, Mester is pushing back against the idea of a rate hike pause, instead saying, quote, I don't really see a compelling reason to pause, meaning wait until you get more evidence to decide what to do. Mester adding she sees a more compelling case for bringing rates up than holding them there for a while until the Fed becomes less uncertain about the direction of the economy. Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway close to breaking the 25 percent ownership threshold of Occidental Petroleum. In a filing late yesterday, the company says it's boosted its stake in the oil giant by another 4.6 million shares or roughly $275 million. And along with buys in March and earlier this month, Berkshire now owns 24.9 percent of Oxy. And we continue to watch shares of NVIDIA after it failed to close above that $1 trillion market cap threshold after briefly topping that level in intraday trade yesterday. Frank, NVIDIA, not the only stock flying high on AI. Shares of C3AI coming off a record day, closing up more than 33% after announcing that its generative AI product is now available on the AWS marketplace. Now, that stock is up 140% this month and almost 300% this year. Yeah, up big this morning as well, Silvana. I know you're about to fall over I know, right there. like, whoa. Almost, yeah, up yeah. more than 4%. Silvana, <laughs> now, thank you. We'll see you later on the show. Sure thing. All right. A lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, much more on the AI boom and the next company looking to throw its hat in the ring. Plus, we head back down to Washington ahead of today's debt deal house vote. What Stiefel's Brian Gardner says should matter to investors right now. And then later, a pair of high-profile visits to China this week, painting a bit of a mixed picture for that country's economic future. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories of the morning. We start with shares of Amberella falling after the video chip maker's outlook fell short of expectations despite a better-than-feared loss on the quarter. The company says it expects revenue between $60 million and $64 million in Q2 compared to the $66.9 million expected. That's due to persistent cyclical headwinds. However, the company adds it's taking its inference AI strategy to the next level. Shares down almost 18% this morning. HP also falling short of Wall Street estimates as clients scale down spending on cloud services 
With quarterly sales for the company's compute segment falling 8% and revenue for its storage segment declining by 3%. Still, CEO Enrique Lora sees upside ahead, emphasizing the potential the company's AI focus unit has on mad money last night. AI is going to be a, bring a great helper to the big, to the PC business. It's going to help us to redefine what a PC is. The experiences that customers will be able to get are going to be much different. And we are working with all the key software vendors, with the key silicon providers to redesign the architecture of a PC. So we will be able to process locally all the AI applications that today are done in the cloud. And Box posting better than expected revenue and profits for its fiscal Q1, but slightly reducing full-year guidance due to higher-than-expected headwinds from foreign currency translation. Box's CEO says the macro landscape remains difficult with companies still cautious on tech spending. He added, there are some new pockets of weakness around small business and the European market. Shares of Box up higher, 2% this morning. All right, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon in Shanghai for the firm's Global China Summit. There, he is repeating his commitment to doing business in China and telling Bloomberg his bank will be in China in both good and bad times. At the same time, Tesla CEO Elon Musk continuing his first trip to China in three years with some high-level meetings. Our Eunice Yoon is in Beijing with more on this pair of very high-profile visits. Eunice. Thanks, Frank. Well, Elon Musk has already met with three government ministers, and there is an expectation that, we, that he will meet with the premier. Uh, today, he uh, visited the commerce minister as well as the IT minister, and the IT ministry had said that the two had discussed NEVs as well as networked smart cars. Uh, last night, he also dined with one of his key suppliers, the Chinese uh, EV battery supplier, uh, CATL. The uh, state media has been speculating that the two who uh, may have had discussions or could cooperate on the new uh, Megapat battery plant for Tesla in Shanghai or possibly um, a JV in uh, North America. Uh, the social media, though, has been abuzz with the 16-course meal and the whole menu that the two had shared. Now, uh, of course, he is not the only American CEO here this week. Uh, Jamie Dimon uh, with J.P. Morgan has been headlining an event for the bank in Shanghai. Uh, he had uh, reiterated his commitment to China by saying that, uh, telling Bloomberg that uh, the bank is there in good times and bad. But what I thought was also interesting, Frank, was uh, that he used some language that is uh, seen as more favorable to the American government as opposed to the Chinese government, saying that he's in favor of de-risking the relationship as opposed to decoupling the relationship. The Chinese have said it's basically the same, uh, but the Americans have said that there is a difference that they want to have a relationship with China, but they just want to make sure that they manage risks for their own economy. Yeah, when the stakes are this high, I think sometimes semantics actually matter, Eunice. So I want to ask you, we're seeing Jamie Dimon and Elon Musk in China. Are we now seeing corporate America take the lead on relations with China? When we look at the cabinet level discussions between the two governments, they've seemed to have, you know, some difficulty. We'll call it that. <laughs> A lot of difficulty. What I thought was interesting was uh, Jamie Dimon's approach because he uh, reiterated to the audience that he is an American patriot, but he says that he wants to help uh, the Chinese people 
um, with some of their own issues. He mentioned uh, what he described as a scary 20 percent youth unemployment problem. Um, he was talking even how the bank is being affected. Uh, the, you know, the, the China chief for J.P. Morgan said that uh, their expansion hasn't gone as well or as, as quickly as they would like. So uh, he was pointing out some of the, the challenges that the economy faces here, um, kind of putting J.P. Morgan as well as um, kind of U.S. corporate America as um, perhaps uh, playing a role to try to help stabilize the economy. You know, it's this kind of a political talk from two business leaders talking about social issues, unemployment. Very interesting. Our Yunus Yun live in Beijing. Thank you very much. Great to see you as always. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, prepping for a pause or heading for more hikes, we speak with Milken Institute Chief Economist William Lee on his outlook for the central bank's policy path forward in Worldwide Exchange. We're back in just a moment. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. As investors weigh a potential resolution to the U.S. debt ceiling dilemma, they're turning their attention now back to the direction of the economy. A string of key data is out this week, including the Fed's Beige Book out today, offering insight into the current economic landscape across multiple regions. The central bank weighing options for its next meeting in just two weeks. Ahead of this, Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, she told the Financial Times today she sees no compelling reason to pause rate hikes, noting... She's in favor of raising rates until economic uncertainty subsides. Joining me now to discuss the Fed's next steps, William Lee, chief economist at the Milken Institute. Bill, good morning. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right, let's get down to these Loretta Mester comments. Loretta Mester, very hawkish, obviously. How do you see this messaging impacting the markets right now? How do you see the beige book impacting the markets? They seem to be really fueled by AI. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, Professor, uh, President Mester, I think, has a, a pretty clear beat on what's happening to, uh, to the concerns of the FOMC, which is inflation has been incredibly persistent, even though the economy is slowing down. And I think what we're going to learn from the Beige Book is that a lot of the market pe- people have been hoping that, well, maybe the bank banking crisis will cause banks to contract their lending. But so far, several Beige Books have told us that bank lending has slowed down only because it's a slower demand for loans, not because the banks themselves have been contracting supply. So all of that packages together to tell us that the Fed is going to be pretty clear in continue to raise rates because right now the slowing economy isn't doing its job of slowing inflation. So let me ask you a question, and this is a question I was wondering myself. Isn't the rate hikes, these rapid rate hikes, isn't that creating some of this economic uncertainty that she's concerned about? So isn't it kind of a cycle where we have economic uncertainty, you raise rates and it creates more economic uncertainty? That's a great point. That's a really sad that the Fed itself can't communicate clearly what its intentions are. In some ways, it doesn't give us a reference right to say that, look, this is where we think rates need to go in order to slow the economy, and we won't put it there if the economy slows down ahead of it. But we don't. I think a, a reference rule like the Taylor rule tells us we need about 6%. And I think the Fed should be very clear and say, instead of saying we're data dependent to give us some clear insight into what they're thinking is needed to slow the economy. All right. Got to talk to you about the debt ceiling as well. Generally seen as a positive for the mm-hmm. markets. But yesterday we saw the Dow finish in the red, the S&P finished flat. Is that a sign of doubt this deal will actually happen? 
I think people are, are getting fed up with the fact that the United States government goes through this kabuki dance every now and then. And, and I think the global investors out there are telling us, you know, get your act together. If you are going to show us a model of democracy for the rest of the world to emulate, you cannot have this kind of nonsense every now and then where the politicians get together and say the minority party just holds hostage this debt crisis and, and holds hostage default uh, by the U.S. government. So I think uh, the uncertainty that's being caused by the by this by this dance is is really a, a function of the democratic government that we have, where the minority party doesn't want to give up the privilege of leveraging and okay. holding hostage the debt crisis. So, Bill, one more question. You had your big Milton conference just a few weeks ago. Uh, were CEOs, were they concerned about the U.S. credit rating? Was that something that was being discussed? And how real do you think a downgrade is today? I think the main concern about the fiscal situation is the fact that the debt path and deficit path is on an unsustainable trajectory. And I think the discussion uh, behind the scenes was that if they only deal with discretionary spending, which is what the Republicans are dealing with, that's not going to be enough. And Fitch may actually show us that by lowering our rating from AAA to AA. All right, Bill Lee, we got to leave the conversation there. Great to have you on. Thank you for your time and for your insight. Thanks for All having right. me. Time now for a check on this morning's other headlines outside the markets and your money. We have NBC's Frances Rivera. She's in New York with the very latest. Frances, good morning. Hi, Frank. Good morning to you. We start with North Korea who's vowing to rectify the issues that plagued the launch of its first ever military recognizance satellite on Tuesday. The country's state media said the launch of the rocket carrying the satellite had failed due to the low reliability of its new engine system. The South's military said that they were in the process of recovering what's assumed to be the wreckage of the vehicle. Let's turn now to Russia, where President Vladimir Putin vowed to retaliate for what he said was a Ukrainian drone attack in Moscow. Moscow. Putin said the attack was aimed at scaring Russian citizens. An advisor to Ukrainian President Zelensky told NBC News Ukraine is not directly involved with the attacks. Russian local media reported a fire today at an oil refinery that they say was caused by a drone strike. Manhattan prosecutors are in a tug of war with his former President Trump's lawyers over where his trial will be held. Trump's lawyers argue the case belongs in federal court because some of the alleged conduct took place in 2017 when he was president. The DA argues it should be held in state court. The former president is facing 34 felony charges stemming from a hush money payment made to Stormy Daniels during his 2016 campaign. He has pleaded not guilty. Frank, for a Wednesday morning, you are up to date with your news headlines. We send it back to you. All right, Francis Rivera, New York. Francis, great to see you. Thank you. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, our week-long summer stock spotlight, spotlight alliteration. I couldn't get it. Spotlight rolls on with a closer look at the names that involve getting out and spending cash on experiences. The word of 2023. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. WEX, will be right back after this. It is right around 530 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. We're heading to the House floor. Lawmakers set to vote on the debt deal later today with the clock ticking and ticking closer to the apparent X date. But could GOP opposition derail the bill's path forward? And a marvelous May, but not for everybody. Futures are lower with the Nasdaq trading at its highest level in nearly a year. But the Dow and the S&P are both being left in the dust. And China becoming the latest country to sound the alarm over AI. Its president demands new safeguards against that red-hot technology. It is Wednesday, May the 31st, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Collin. Thanks for waking up with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned earlier, futures are lower this morning. We're seeing all three indices in the red, about a quarter to a third of a percent. Again, it is early. However, May proving to be a very strong month when it comes to tech. The Nasdaq hovering at its highest level since mid-August, up nearly 6.5%, barring today's moves. A very different story for the Dow, down 3%, with the S&P basically flat for the month. You're seeing kind of the NVIDIA bump right here at the end of the month when it comes to the Nasdaq. We're also checking the bond markets this morning as we inch closer and closer to this X date that's now been moved to about June the 5th. We're seeing uh, bond yields kind of decline just a bit. The benchmark tenure yesterday was about 3.80, this morning at 3.65. Still elevated yield when it comes to the two-year at 4.44, something we continue to watch. We're also looking at energy, specifically oil. Coming off a bit of a rough, rough session yesterday, tumbling more than 4%. On some mixed messages from major producers ahead of this weekend's OPEC Plus meeting, this morning we're seeing WTI, the U.S. benchmark, below 70 bucks a barrel, down more than a half a percent this morning. Brent crude, the international benchmark, basically at 73 bucks a barrel, down almost a percent. Same story when it comes to natural gas. All right, let's get a check on some of this morning's top stories. Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana? Hey, Frank, I'm back. All right, China is calling for stronger measures to take on potential risks stemming from artificial intelligence. State media reporting that at a meeting headed up by Xi Jinping, the Chinese president stressed the need for, quote, staying keenly aware of the complicated and challenging circumstances facing national security. That's around AI. And the comments come during the visit by Elon Musk, who has been outspoken about the dangers around AI. A U.S. judge reportedly handing down a ruling in connection to the deadly 2019 Ethiopian Airlines crash involving a Boeing 737 MAX jet. Now, according to Reuters, the judge ruled relatives may seek compensation for the pain and suffering felt before impact by the people killed on the plane. In 2021, Boeing agreed to acknowledge liability for for compensatory damages in lawsuits filed by families of the 157 people killed. And Twilio has reportedly been meeting with activist investor Legion Legion partners. Now, according to the information, the two sides have met several times over the last few months with Legion seeking changes to the board and other moves, including improving cost structure. The report adds Twilio's use of super voting shares, which gives CEO Jeff Lawson a near 22 percent voting stake, is set to expire in less than a month, potentially opening up the company to more pressure from stockholders. Shares of Twilio are higher in the pre-market, Frank. Yeah, considerably higher, up 5%. Yeah. It's been a big year for activist investors. It really has so far, and it's, it's only the end of May, so yeah. more to come. Savannah now, thank you very much. All right, turning back to Washington and the bipartisan deal to raise the U.S. debt ceiling, bearing a key hurdle last night by a very slim margin and is now on its way to a full House vote later today. But headwinds for Speaker McCarthy and the Republican Party leadership remain. As hardline members of the House, they vow to vote no on the bill, with congressmen like Dan Bishop from North Carolina saying he will call to remove McCarthy as Speaker, claiming the deal concedes too much to Democrats. Another member of the Freedom Caucus, Chip Roy of Texas, promising a reckoning for McCarthy as of now. There are at least 17 no votes confirmed. All this is the nonpartisan. Congressional Budget Office says the bill, if passed into law, will cut deficits by $1.5 trillion over 10 years. Joining me now on this and much more is Brian Gardner, Chief Washington Policy Strategist at Stiefel, 
and co-host of the Potomac Perspective Podcast. God, I got the alliteration, Brian. I couldn't get your name out. Good morning. How's it going? Good morning, Frank. How are right, you so doing? Let's just talk. We got to jump right into this. Talk about this sure. deal. How real do you see a, uh, a possibility of this bill not passing? We had so much optimism over the weekend. But Tuesday, we're seeing a lot of pushback on, honestly, both sides of the aisle. Yeah, so I, I think the two wings are pushing back. Um, but uh, the fact that it, it cleared the, uh, the House Rules Committee last night uh, is a positive sign. It will pass the floor, likely pass the floor later today in the Senate at the end of the week. So I, I think the, uh, the chances for this bill are, are very high. And it, it, would, it would take um, so, some new catalyst to, to, to enter the, the discussion to, to change the vote dynamics at this point. The, 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 the wings will vote against it, but I think the center of both parties will hold. And I, I think it will pass relatively comfortably now. All right. So relatively comfortably. You're definitely an optimist when it comes to this because a lot of people are concerned about it. So I also want to talk to you about the U.S. credit rating. This is a marriage of convenience between Republicans and Democrats to push this whole thing past the 2024 election. How do you see the credit rating agencies viewing this entire deal and the fact that we're seeing still so much bipartisan disagreement when it comes to it? So, you know, uh, S&P downgraded uh, their rating in 2011 after the deal was reached in 2011 between President Obama and Speaker Boehner. So it's certainly there is a precedent that the rating agencies can step in and downgrade after a debt ceiling deal, even though there are no will be no mispayments. So it is certainly a possibility. At the same time, I think the rating agencies have to, uh, and I'm sure they are, considering the fact that even in the wake of the S&P downgrade in 2011, yields fell, right? The bond market rallied. Uh, there was a flight to safety uh, due to other economic uh, impacts and considerations at the time. So you know, from, from a credibility standpoint, is it good for the rating agencies to downgrade and see another rally in the treasury market? So that, that's probably a consideration as well. You know, and then okay. because of that, you ask, you know, what's the point of a downgrade uh, if it doesn't impact um, the, uh, the economy and interest rates, uh, as, as was the case in 2011? All right. One more thing we want you to consider before we let you go. Coming out just moments ago from China's commerce minister, who just wrapped up his meeting with Elon Musk, saying the two had extensive and in-depth talks over China-U.S. economic and trade cooperation. He added China will continue to support long-term stable development of foreign firms in China. What does that say to you about all this? Are U.S. companies, are they taking the lead in this U.S.-China relations and, and, and just dealings? Um, what does this say to you about the path forward for governmental relations and also corporate relations? I don't think that they're taking the lead um, in relations because they're they're not beholden and they're not constrained by considerations that a government, our government, is are constrained by. So, you know, obviously they are looking to penetrate a market to grow a market. Um, government leaders have other considerations. You know, obviously representing uh, U.S. companies and trying to enhance U.S. Uh, uh, U.S. company opportunities abroad, but they also have multilateral. Uh, consideration. So they, so government officials collaborating with U.S. allies in the region, and and that just leads to a slower process in terms of engaging with China. So I, I don't, I don't see them taking a lead. I see them, uh, I see uh, the private sector having different considerations and not being uh, constrained by by factors that that hold back a, a government entity like the U.S. federal government. All right, Brian Gardner, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you very much for being here. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Frank. All 
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, Taylor Swift and her Eras Tour setting a very high bar for the summer entertainment season. We continue our week-long summer stock spotlight series with a look at which live show stocks are poised to be the biggest crowd pleasers. But first, as we head to break, some of your top trending stories. Air New Zealand asking its international flights to waive passengers in an effort to gather data on the weight load and distribution for flights. They say the data will be anonymous with the airline reassuring customers that there is no visible display on the scale to see an individual's weight. A new survey from Pew Research finding that while approximately 58% of Americans there familiar with ChatGPT, only about 14% have actually tried it as concerns about the potential misuse persist. The survey also finding that usage and awareness of ChatGPT, they vary significantly across demographics. Boy, if you're a Ted Lasso fan, you get that one. The final episode of Ted Lasso this season, it drops today as the future of the hit Apple TV show. It remains a bit uncertain. The show's Twitter account referencing its final match ahead of this last episode. Star and co-creator Jason Sudeikis previously suggesting that season three would be the show's final one, but he wouldn't rule out a spinoff. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with J.P. Morgan bumping its rating and price target on Chevron, moving it from underweight to neutral and the price target from $161 to $170 per share. J.P.M. saying Chevron's valuation is normalized and it thinks the oil company's risks are fairly balanced at its current price level. We move on to Piper Sandler raising Microsoft's price target from $331 to $400, making it one of the highest on the street. It cites the tech giant's conviction and history and its ability to bring artificial intelligence to the masses over the coming years. And Bernstein naming Amazon one of its top picks and raising its price target, moving that from $125 per share to $140 per share. It says Amazon has an appealing near-term setup and quality long-term growth. Shares of Amazon this morning up freshly. All right, turning out our week-long summer stock spotlight series, highlighting some of the season's hottest sectors and stocks. Today, it's all about live entertainment with Taylor Swift's blowout Eras Tour becoming the latest and maybe best example of the strong appetite for concerts, sporting events, and other shows. But are consumers just in their lover's era or is a swift surge in summer ticket sales ahead? Let's talk much more about this with Peter Sapino, Wolf Research Senior Analyst. Peter, great to have you here. Morning, thank you. By the way, Peter, I didn't write that. I don't even know what lover's era means. I think that was Michelle Yu, I think our, our resident Swifty. But I do want to ask you about the tour. So all this enthusiasm we're seeing over Taylor Swift, is this kind of a one-off or is it a sign of a broader trend when it comes to live entertainment? Demand for live entertainment products is robust across the board. Sports ratings are outperforming everything else in the pay TV bundle. Live music is hot and things like Formula One, WWE, uh, people are excited to be out and about. The post-COVID Roaring Twenties thesis is broadly playing out, and, uh, and Taylor Swift is leading the charge. Not just WWE anymore. It's going to be called the TKO Group, where you're going to see Endeavor combine scripted sports entertainment with a very physical contact sport, UFC. What's your view on the company now, just as WWE? How do you see the combination how would you, how do you, I know you don't know quite yet until it's all the way finished, but what's your forward-looking view when it comes to that combination? I mean, as, the, as a child of the 80s and 90s, I'm still trying to get over the demise of, of, of heavyweight boxing, but 
WWE appears to have a lock on combat sports going forward, um, and uh, the combination seems smart. I mean, if you think about the role that live sports plays for a streaming company, and that's where the audience are, audiences in television are going, is streaming. The, the, live in, the live audience is a way for streamers to get engagement, to keep their subs and get new subs. Uh, it's a very WWE provides 52 weeks a year of regular viewing from millions of, of customers. And so we think they have something very special for sale to TV distributors. All right. So give us a sense of your top picks when it comes to this entire sector. Where does a company like Live Nation that provides the tickets and creates tours, where does that stand? What are your other top picks? Live Nation is the best company in the sector, and it happens to be coming off of a very depressed level. And so it's our favorite uh, stock in the sector. Live Nation has this wonderful competitive position uh, with the dominant share of both the ticketing business and also the concert promotion business. They also own a lot of their own venues. So it's a pretty wonderful uh, sort of toll booth on uh, the, the the country's demand to see uh, live entertainment. Uh, it's overseen by a very competent management team uh, with a, a uniquely sharp eye on shareholder value creation. So we're very bullish there. There is some tail risk in the next couple of months associated with the Department of Justice, which uh, is reportedly investigating Live Nation uh, for, the, for the very reason why we're so enthusiastic about the company, which is the strength of their competitive position. Uh, but okay. outside of that, uh, outside risk, we really like it. All right. Certainly something to watch. Peter Sapino, you said you were a child of the 80s. I imagine you were a Hulkamaniac at one point. Very bullish on WWE. Great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Veritas Financial's Greg Branch lays out the final trading day of the month and whether he's buying into tech's dominance. Worldwide Exchange will be back after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with Cleveland Fed, Fed President Loretta Mester. She's pushing back against the, ca- the case for the, fe- the Fed to pause at its next meeting, telling the Financial Times there's no compelling reason to pause. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon says the U.S. and China need to have a real engagement and the country's disputes over security and free and fair trade are all resolvable. Elon Musk is also in China meeting with the country's industry minister. The Chinese government says the two discussed developing electric and intelligent networked vehicles. Shares of Amberella are slumping with the chipmaker's second quarter revenue outlook falling below analyst forecasts. The company chalks that up to customers working through existing inventory. An SEC filing shows Berkshire Hathaway has snapped up more shares of Occidental Petroleum, raising its stake to just about 25 percent. Warren Buffett has dismissed rumors that Berkshire will take full control of Occidental. And Foxconn sees AI driving demand for its server business this year. However, the iPhone maker still expects overall growth to be flat this year due to global economic uncertainty. All right, we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. On the economic front, we get weekly mortgage applications, Chicago PMI figures, as well as the job openings and labor turnover survey, a.k.a. the Jolts report, out later this morning. As for earnings, results from Salesforce, Nordstrom, Capri Holdings, PVH, and C3AI. Then at 2 p.m. Eastern is the release of the Fed's Beige Book. We're also hearing from two central bank chiefs this afternoon with Boston Fed President Susan Collins and Philadelphia Fed President Patrick Harker both speaking. 
and several high-profile annual shareholder meetings taking place today, including ExxonMobil, Chevron, Walmart, and Meta. Markets gearing up to close out the final trading day of May. Looking at futures right now as we looked at them all day. Down this morning, down, uh, you know, actually Nasdaq recovering just a bit, but still down across the board. And it may be proving to be the, uh, a story of the haves and the have-nots. Barring today's moves, tech continues to just chug along. The Nasdaq up nearly 6.5%. The Dow, it's down 3%, with the S&P basically flat for the month. But our next guest says at these current levels, he's still not sold on most stocks. Greg Branch is the managing partner at Veritas Financial Group and a CNBC contributor. Greg, always great to see you. Great to be here, Frank. All right, so we got to jump into this one, Greg. What are you not sold about? We're seeing C3 AI jump in here in the pre-market. AI's really pushed the NASDAQ higher. Tech has pushed the entire market higher. What are you not seeing that you're a fan of? Yeah, but Frank, everything you're saying right now is about a very narrow breadth. And the breadth this narrow, when, when you know the top 10 stocks have contributed 70% of the performance, that is not a harbinger of a well-substantiated future rally. And so what makes me nervous in particular is that let's say, let's just stipulate that they do get this debt deal done. I do believe that we will likely see a downgrade, and that will further push credit tightness, that will further drain liquidity out of the system, uh, and likely lead to a recession uh, towards the end of this year because the Fed will be back on on watch. And as uh, Loretta Mester said, it will probably be time for the Fed to take front and center again and wage the war on inflation and continue to push rates. Okay. Estimates are not reflecting that. Estimates are reflecting the two rate cuts that the market was expecting up until recently in the back end of this year. Hold on, Greg. I heard, I heard a key word there. You said if this deal gets done, so it sounds like you're doubting it. And even if it does get done, you believe that the U.S. credit rating could get downgraded. So i got to ask you on, on that note, what's your WEX word of the day? The word of the day is suspenseful. This will be a suspenseful couple of days, Frank. And so let me stipulate, I am more confident that we will not default than I have been since January, since this got out of rules last night. Uh, so I do believe that there's a very light, low likelihood that we will default at this point. There are three risks. You've intimated all of them at some point on the program. The first is that they challenge the speakers uh, that they move to vacate. And that would only come from Reps Roy and Bishop at this point. Very low probability on that. One senator could hang this up. Low probability on that. And Janet Yellen has the date wrong. Probably a low probability on that, too. Those are the only threats at this point. All right. One other thing we want to talk to you about U.S. and China relations. Just a short time ago, I'm just kind of going over these headlines right now. Um, There was talks about U.S.-China economic and trade cooperation. We have Elon Musk in China. We have Jamie Dimon in China talking about that they plan to be there. Do you feel like corporate America's maybe taking the lead when it comes to U.S.-China relations? And what do you think that means for the markets? Uh, I think they have. And hopefully that 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 will be a very short term thing. Obviously, the president's attention has been diverted on this debt ceiling debacle for the last two months. Uh, So I don't think that there's anything really meaningful uh, to the markets yet. We have to see how long this this uh, leadership continues. Uh, But I do believe that the administration, once past the debt ceiling debacle, will resume leadership and uh, the, the, the right channels will be opened again. All right, Greg, great to see you. We got to let you go. Thank you for being here. One little last look at the futures right now. Futures actually off their lows of earlier this morning, inching towards being flat right now. At this point, the NASDAQ just down fractionally. All right, that's going to do it for us here at Worldwide Exchange. I don't know who Greg's talking to, but I'm talking to you guys. Squawk Box is coming up next. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city 
to a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.